Kia welcome to the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast and thanks for tuning in this week. I'm your host Jordan, I'm a mum of one, soon to be two boys and a lover of all things birth and a very passionate storyteller. The goal of Kiwi Birth Tales is to empower, inform, educate and connect families from New Zealand and all over the world, talking about the things that are so often kept to ourselves or shared with only our nearest and dearest because of this taboo that seems to surround sharing stories about birth. All stories deserve to be heard, no story more important than the other, and with this podcast you'll get a variety without bias. The podcast is not intended for medical advice, I'm not an advocate for any particular mode of birth or birth care, and this platform is simply here to share these beautiful, empowering Kiwi birth tales with you all, so I hope you enjoy. This week's episode is proudly brought to you by Your Birth Project, which is my online hypnobirthing or calm birthing course, and actually really timely because I am currently redoing the Your Birth Project course in preparation for my own birth, and I just think that this is a great episode to sponsor again. So Your Birth Project is completely online, it is inclusive of all birth types and it is all based around creating your best birth so I can't decide what your best birth looks like and your midwife can't decide it is totally up to you and your preferences and your goals for your birth the course will help you design that and help you figure out what that looks like it steps you through different mindset pieces and reframing and understanding where our perceptions of birth come from It's got some amazing comfort methods and there are so many testimonials on the Your Birth Project Instagram if you want to go and check those out from mums who have used and loved the course and just absolutely rave about how much of a difference it made to them in their labour and birth. So I'd love for you to go and check that out at Your Birth Project on Instagram. In this week's episode of the podcast I speak with Rosie. And Rosie takes us through her pregnancy and birth story with her little daughter, Heidi. Rosie first talks us through her journey to pregnancy, which wasn't totally straightforward, and also an unfortunate miscarriage. So she talks us through uh, losing that baby and that pregnancy and what that experience was like for her, and then into her pregnancy with Heidi. When Heidi was born, it was discovered that she has polydactyly, which means that she has extra digits, and I will let Rosie talk you through um, what that journey was like for them and sort of processing that because they didn't know that before she was born, so it was quite a surprise. She also talks about her postpartum period and how she prepared for that and also talks through having a postpartum doula, which is really interesting and not something we've had a lot of on the podcast, so I think you're going to enjoy that. And the final, I guess, key thing to note is that Rosie has two stepchildren, and she is married to her husband, Nick, who is 50 years old. So she talks through having a little bit of an older dad, and what's that like for their family, and yeah, just their whole family dynamic. So I really loved recording this episode with Rosie, and I think it's one you're going to get a lot out of. So I'd love to hear your feedback. If you are listening, I'd love for you to take a screenshot and share it to your Instagram story. Tag me at Kiwi Birthtales so I can see what you're up to when you are listening and where you're listening from. It's always super interesting and I love connecting with you guys in that way. If you want to give me some feedback on the episode or tell me a little bit about how it might have resonated for you, then 
feel free to send me an, a message on Instagram or an email or get in touch however suits you because yeah I love to hear from you all right I've probably done enough talking now so I will let you hear from Rosie let's jump into it hi Rosie thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today hi Jordan thank you for having me I'm super pumped and excited <laughs> You are very welcome. Would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about you and who is in your family? Yes, so I'm Rosie Rogers and I have a husband called Nick and he has two kids, Bella and Harry. So they're my stepchildren. They call me backup mum. So we've kind of <laughs> kind of don't like the stepmum um name too much. And we have a dog called Bruno and we have a little five-month-old girl called Heidi. Uh, we live in the Wadadapa and um, we run our own business here. So, yeah, that's kind of our little jam. We built a house um, almost two years ago and we live kind of in the country, a little bit rural. Yeah. Um, and this is where I grew up, so it's been really nice. We returned here um, about five years ago. Oh, awesome. And it's been, yeah, really cool to come back to the country. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. And do you want to yeah. take us through what the journey was like to pregnancy for you and Nick? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think with us, like I, obviously Nick's got kids already. So for him, it wasn't like something that was on his radar to have um, kids again. He's a bit older. He's just turned 50 and I'm 30, about to turn 32. Um, so it was definitely not a like, you know, on his plan initially. Sure. Um, but when we got together, it was very much something that had to be discussed really early on, whether we would have kids or not, because obviously it's, you know, quite a big game changer. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't ever a super maternal person or someone that felt like adamant that I would have kids, but I definitely knew it had to be tabled and had to be something that yeah. he had to be okay with. Yeah. Um, and equally, like in the same conversation, I had to be really um, on board, obviously, to like take on his kids and and be really involved in their life, and and we had to have those conversations like right from the outset. So, yeah. um, and then as he, yeah, as like we kind of, so we've been together for like seven or eight years, or something. Um, so yeah, like I decided. I did want to have kids. I just was probably more of the view that I didn't want to regret not having them more than I was mm. definitely like, I want a baby. Um, so we started trying in 2018, end of 2018, like went off the pill and like, well, like, great, well, you know, but it took a while for my, probably for my body to adjust. Um, and then we tried until, so I think it was like October, November, I went off the pill and I, by sort of June, the next, the following year, I still wasn't pregnant. And so it was definitely starting to play on mm. my mind. Um, I was feeling quite like I was starting to get anxious about it. And every month that went by, like it really sort of starts to feel like a bit of a kick. It was starting to really get to me. So we went to see a fertility um, person in here in the Wadadapa. And that was amazing. She's like, it's like a natural approach. Yeah. She basically helps you track your cycle. So she comes from a fertility background. Like, anyway, she, she like tracked my cycle. So she helped me. I've had very irregular, like a very irregular periods and yeah. been a bit of like, sometimes I'd get my period for a month and then it wouldn't come for 
three months and then I'd yeah. have it for two months. So I've been a real, like, all over the show. So she just helped me track my cycle and learn about it's, it's quite like, um, graphic, but you track your mucus and your, yeah. Yeah, and that might be common. People might know about that, but I just had no idea. So, <laughs> yeah. like, learning about how that all works and actually understanding my own body and what was going on was really, really helpful. Yeah. So that took us, after seeing her and, like, going through, and I'd, I'd go through my monthly cycle with her every month, I'd, like, fill out a chart, and um, she was able to tell me, like, you are um, ovulating right now, like, now's the window kind of thing, just based off where I was at in the um, with my mucus and then I got pregnant th- three months maybe after oh, wow. um yeah so that was like amazing because she said to me normally it takes three to four months and so the third month I was like oh my god please like and yeah. then I got pregnant so it was really cool um unfortunately kind of around the 11 week mark I started bleeding um I had obviously listened to some of your podcasts by then and I'd heard a little bit about miscarriages but really like I was so naive I had no idea Mm. um and I thought I was kind of in the clear by then like I'd been pregnant for you know like I was nearly at the 12 week mark I just thought I was all good I'd had scans it'd been a heartbeat like um so once yeah once I started bleeding I rang my midwife and talked to her and she just said looks you know it's normal to bleed. It might not be anything. Just, but if you have any heavy bleeding, you know, you need to get to a doctor. I was actually down in Wanaka with some friends on a like girls' weekend. Mm-hmm. We went for a big walk. Um, we were like climbing up Roy's Peak, and when we were up, like maybe half an hour into the climb, I just felt this gush of blood, mm. and I just think I just knew. But I kind of went off the track and had a little look. And I was like, shit, yeah, this isn't good. So we went to the, yeah, when it got checked out, they couldn't really tell me too much until I had an ultrasound. But yeah, um, got back to the water Upper eventually. Actually, I should just give Nick a bit of credit here. He <laughs> flew down in the middle of the night, like flew down late to Christchurch and then drove to Wanaka to be with me because I yeah. was, you know, I didn't want to travel home on my mm. own with that going on. Um which was amazing. And just it was really amazing because I had my girlfriends around me. Some of them didn't even know I was pregnant, so I had to, like, tell them I was pregnant and then tell them that I was, you know, like, potentially yeah. miscarrying. So that was just amazing that I had them around me. Um, and I think in hindsight, like, I really reflected. We'd, we'd told a few people that I was pregnant by then, but I do think in hindsight that it was so good having people knowing that I was mm. pregnant and the people that did know and to be able to have those conversations, like, I feel like it is quite a dated um, mind, like mindset that we have to not tell people because mm. we need to just like disguise our grief and yeah. hide our grief and grieve privately. And I know for some people that makes it easier, but for me personally, I'm a pretty open person, and I yeah, I just found like to just be able to talk about it and normalize yeah. it. And I've definitely found like you know your podcast has provided a lot of comfort for me in that, and like just sharing it. It's so important. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, I went um, to the hospital to have a scan. They confirmed there was no heartbeat and actually said they think that the baby had probably died straight after my six-week scan, like maybe around week Ooh, seven, okay. and my body was still, like, feeding it. So I felt like my tummy was still kind of a little bit, like, 
it just felt different and it yeah. felt like I just felt kind of still pregnant in a way. And so things just, yeah, felt a bit funny. Anyway, I went home um, and, like, they just said to me, you'll bleed for a bit longer and then mm-hmm. it should stop. But if you have any heavy bleeding, bleeding come in. So maybe, like, 10 days later I was still bleeding and then I had another, like, really heavy, like, gush of blood again. Mm-hmm. Like on the kitchen floor situation um and so went back to hospital and ended up having another ultrasound like that night I sat in hospital all day actually that week that same day we we were taking over this new business we just bought a business so it was all going on like while I was going Mm. through this miscarriage over that two weeks and we'd just taken over we were like meeting all the new employees and like getting really so it was really hectic yeah. and I was going through this kind of like grieving thing but not really giving it much time because I was just like focused on mm. business and then got in, yeah, anyway, got into hospital, da, 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 and they um, ended up, by the time I had the ultrasound, they pretty much like looked at my stomach and then basically like made the call straight through to theatre and rushed me in. So I was in theatre maybe within like half an hour of having the ultrasound because I was, my body was, it was, it still, yeah, it was like my, I don't know, my body thought I was pregnant or something. So yeah. there was still like, it was, I was filling up with fluid basically. Um, and so they just thought I could have gone septic, I'm guessing. And so it was all like really rushed and a bit random. And Nick was like not able to get there before the mm. surgery. And that was, it was actually fine. Like, I don't know, when I describe it, it probably sounds a little bit, stressful but it was it was okay it was just like quite rushed um and then yeah I had a DNC and then came home and recovered and like I I don't know like I was fine like like physically I felt completely fine afterwards people some people have quite a bit of pain and like nausea I think but I felt totally normal so it was quite hard to rest when you can't see anything Mm. you know like and everyone's telling you the doctors are telling you you have to rest but I didn't really feel like it was necessary but I did really feel like I needed the space from them like but my my mind like headspace to just process what had happened and I was yeah but yeah like I said before because we told people I really felt the like the grieving process was public which was for me like the best thing yeah um I had a few people I think that were you know, like a bit uncomfortable when you talk about it. And mm. I think there's this, I do find there's this like stigma. It's like sometimes I go to talk about it in the context of like, you know, even today my friend was like, ah, oh, like I love the name Billy. We were talking about na- like, mm. you know, the names. And I was like, oh yeah, that was the name of our, like we'd named this baby Billy. It was like its little pet name, you know, while mm. it was when I got pregnant. And we loved that name and it was like on our name list. But now I feel like that name's kind of attached you know, like I yeah, feel like sure. we've used that name for that yeah. child. Um, and I just sort of said that. And then I feel like I have this moment of like every time I talk about my miscarriage, I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm probably going on about it. You know, like I feel like I'm yeah. making a point and wanting to talk about it. And it's not that. It's just I want, like I really want to just be able to normalize it. Yeah, yeah. But I do know it's like there's a bit of stigma around it. And, yeah, it's just a – I just hope it can get – more normal for people yeah yeah it's so common yeah in terms of like I don't know obviously you had friends like you've said who knew that you were pregnant and then knew that you had a miscarriage was there anything that they did in terms of 
support or anything that made you feel, um, you know, like really cared for and looked after during that time? Or was it more just that you could talk to somebody else about it? Actually, yes, my girlfriends were awesome. Um, Quite a few, like lots of my friends have had miscarriages. Mm. So we were able to talk about it. And like, you know, my friends obviously have had them before me and I wasn't probably as, I wasn't as supportive as I wish I had mm. been because I just didn't understand. Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, friends definitely um, just really reached out. We talked a lot about it. Um, and also, my girlfriend sent me on um, Billy's, like coming up to Billy's anniversary. So, actually, sorry, it was Billy's due date. Mm-hmm. Coming up to Billy's due date, they sent me a orchid yeah. and a big bottle of rosé like one of those magnums <laughs> so yeah. we had that <laughs> my me and my cousin my cousin came to stay we had this big, big night drank lots of rosé yeah. um had billies actually I'm fast forwarding now but through to the next pregnancy <laughs> um had a very big night on with the magnum on billies um due date and then like a few weeks later, I found out I was pregnant. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that was like, oops. Um, yeah. <laughs> did not realise. Yeah. And what about Bella and Harry? What was that process like? Did they know and how did you talk them through it? The process with Bella and Harry, so they're, they're um, 15 and 12. So they would have been like 10 and yeah. 12, 13-ish, 11 and 13. Um we had obviously told them that I was pregnant and so and they have been like we've involved them and talked openly with them about the process of you know like the journey to get pregnant because I felt that's really important that they don't have this like Mm. totally detached and unrealistic idea about pregnancy you know like our generation were all told you like touch a willy and it's going to impregnate you um, and give you 100 STDs and so I just wanted to like be realistic with them like you know we talk openly about the totally the dangers or the risks or the um you know the consequences of intercourse but also we've talked very openly about the process to get pregnant for us yeah and you know harry and bella are just like at that point they were like just get pregnant you know like just get pregnant and that was like for me quite a lot because I was mm. like I want to get pregnant yeah I'm trying um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm over here trying um with your dad yeah. and then um, and then um as you know the miscarriage happened we then had to have that conversation mm. around losing it you know and yeah. that was really hard for them um but it really bonded us I think like it brought us really close together and it became a really shared experience yeah. You know, like as hard as it was, like they lost something. They and they that was for them, you know, they they haven't lost anyone close to them. Mm. Um it was a really big thing. And um so we had to talk a lot about that process for them and it was really hard for Harry, like especially I think he just didn't have a cop couldn't comprehend that yeah. that could happen. And he he told some of you know, we'd told them they could tell some of their friends, so he told some of his friends at school and then he had to tell them that actually, like, the baby's gone. Mm. And they were like, whatever, you know, like, that just mm. didn't make sense to yeah. these boys. Yeah. So working through that was difficult. And, again, I think that's, like, you know, 
the fact that it's never talked about yeah, <laughs> these kids sure. need to understand. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, so by the time um, we were then, like, you know, comfortable and trying again, they were just, like, so excited for us to get pregnant. Like, they just wanted it, mm. like, with us, and that was quite special. So, yeah, so when um, I kind of felt like we were ready maybe two months after, so – after the miscarriage, um, we started again and probably four or five months went by and I still wasn't pregnant, which was, you know, like I'd understood by then that it can take me some time, but I was also mm-hmm. like, okay, this over, like, if you look at it collectively, it's been quite a long time and I'm, I just don't want to muck around now. Like I want, so we went back to the fertility lady. I thought we'd had all of our timing right. Like I'd been like tracking my cycle myself based off what I'd learned from her the first time. And I was like being a really, dedicated to the cause and um not just me <laughs> Nick as well and um I yeah I thought everything was right I waited like five or six days after we'd had sex and I um took a pregnancy test and it was negative and I was like fuck like pretty gutted and um so I just went straight on the phone and like messaged the fertility um lady. Her name is Bex. She's from Seed Fertility. If anyone needs this right now in your life, I highly recommend or at any time. Um, she, yeah. So I messaged her and I was like, "Can we come and see you? Like, I'm, I just want to get pregnant." And mm. so I booked in, and I was due to see her like five or eight days later or something. And so I just didn't even think about it from then I was like just move on like and I just I just blocked it all out and I was like once I go and see her we'll reset so anyway we're going and see her and she's like got my chart out and she's like okay so we went through when I you know when I was had mucus and when I was dry and when we'd had sex etc and then she's like cool and so your period was due about five days ago and I was like ah. Yeah, it was. She's like, Rosie, I think you might be pregnant. Um, she's like, I don't know, because your period's been pretty random, but, you know, like things have been a lot mm. more settled over the last few months. So, and I definitely found after my miscarriage, actually, I don't know whether it was to do with having the DNC and having everything cleared out or what, but my periods became like quite in sync, which yeah. they'd never been before. So for those three or four months, I was like, Anyway, more regular. Yeah. yeah, so I was like, oh, my God, I felt so, like, stupid because I had, like, <laughs> gone to the fertility lady and she's like, Rosie, you've kind of, like, <laughs> just missed your period. So yeah. I went home, obviously, like, I did a – I think I couldn't get home that night. Like, we had work and stuff, and so I wasn't home till like, 9 or 10 and, like, quite late. And I was like, fuck, I just want to get home and do this test. Mm. So I finally got home and did a pregnancy test, and it was – positive but obviously yeah, I was pregnant um <laughs> so we were just laughing because I kind of just knew like once obviously my period was so late but I went to the bin and I pulled out the pregnancy text from the like time of, you know the week whatever 10 days before mm. and um it had a very weak positive like I just hadn't seen it because I was <laughs> You know, like, I don't know. Anyway, it was just very, very weak. And so I was just laughing. Because like, Nick was saying to me at the time, it's too early. Like, you need to wait. And I was yeah. like, it's not too early. Like, I just need to, I must, it must come up with a reading by now. Anyway, so that was pretty funny. <laughs> like, I was pregnant. Um, So, yeah, then I was pregnant, had a great pregnancy, loved being pregnant. Yeah. Um, Felt a little bit 
shitty for the first 10, 12 weeks. Like, yeah. But tired, not not the tiredness that I had. Like, obviously, I'd been pregnant before, so mm. I kind of knew, and it was very similar. But, um, yeah, I guess in general, I just, people talk about it like you're like, you know, I can't function, and I just didn't, I was tired, but I was all good. I felt more tired from other things in life. Um, yeah. And I felt a little bit sick. I never threw up, but I just felt like I was car sick all the time or, yeah. or, or like hungover all the time yeah was that different to the way that you felt um in your first pregnancy no nah, pretty well the same yeah 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 I had very similar experiences yeah. um and then got to um yeah 12 weeks kind of 14 weeks maybe everything just sort of settled I felt really good through my second trimester but I did have um a sore lower back yeah. So I went and I had quite a lot of like physio, acupuncture, chiropractor, mm. um, and that was really good. Did you have any like I don't know if anxiety is the right word, but obviously having had a miscarriage um, previously, I just wondered like did you have any sort of feelings of anxiety <clears> or were you worried at all in those first twelve weeks, or did you just sort of feel like this is a different pregnancy and you're just going to sort of take it as it comes? Yeah, I definitely felt a lot more um, just emotionally charged going yeah. into, like, I would be fine. And then when we're going in for the scans and, and midwife appointments and stuff, I felt very, like, vulnerable. Mm. Um, and I felt, like, very emotionally charged. Like, I yeah. just cried, like, when I saw the scans and, like, mm. when I felt a kick, like, those first kicks and stuff, it just really, like hit home for me and because mm. you know how I was saying I wasn't like super maternal and I wasn't like oh, yeah. I really want to have a baby definitely having the miscarriage really cemented for me like I want to have a baby mm. um and I want to be pregnant and yeah I want to be a mum but I still like had this like I love like while I had that desire I like love our life and I love my independence and I I guess every mum probably goes through this to some degree, but for me it was a real challenge was the, the, the like, I'm going to be giving up all of this. Mm. Like, yeah. And I've had, I have, I have a, um, like a life coach kind of mental health, mental skills, mindset coach, whatever you want to call it. So a lot of the work I was doing with her for that time was centered around that piece. Like yeah. how do I change my, my, um, energy from being centered around all mm. the things I was going to lose and miss out on to being like what abundance is going to come from this like where what is the richness that it's going to bring to my relationship and to my life and to like yeah. and I just couldn't I could not comprehend what it was going to bring like mm. now looking back I'm like oh my god yeah. <laughs> um amazing like where I'm at now from where I pictured I would be but yeah that that process of losing a pregnancy um definitely changed my like connection with mm. my pregnancy and with the baby like I just felt so much more like yeah like the feeling of being nauseous for example like I was just like treasuring that in the sense that I knew I was pregnant like I knew what it felt like to, you know that you just don't know what's going on yeah. and so if you're nauseous and you're like feeling the symptoms of pregnancy for me that was like yes like I'm pregnant I'm still pregnant every day like I'm pregnant mm. yeah I know that I'm pregnant. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then 
um yeah the scans were like amazing we took the kids along and <laughs> I just cried heaps. <laughs> yeah. um and then yeah when we told the kids uh, I'm sorry I'm jumping around a bit it's okay when we told the kids it was like awesome like they were just so ecstatic and cute yeah. and like just so happy <laughs> we were away we went on a family holiday and told them while we were away and it was really cool yeah um and then um we went to we did a little gender reveal as well which was cute <laughs> um and like had some balloons in a box you know Popped yeah. the, the kids took the lid off the box and these pink balloons flew out um which was really cute <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, my third trimester was fine as well. Like I started to get a little bit more tired. I was like, had a massive sleeping pillow, which kind of <laughs> made a huge difference. I, I ended up wearing, um, like a, I don't know what they're called, SJ belt or something. They go around your hips oh, yeah. just to like hold everything tight. Cause I was getting a lot of, or just getting pain just to the like, just to the side of my tailbone. I think yeah. it's a common thing in pregnancy, but so I was getting acupuncture for that and chiropractor and stuff. Cool. And so did you do any like antenatal education or birth education in terms of um, coming up to your labor and birth? Yes, I did. <laughs> um, I prepared a huge amount for the birth, so which I'm so pleased that I did. I so what did I do? So I had um I had done I had been a support person for my sister during her second pregnancy um because her partner often works like late at night and out of reception yeah he in the agricultural sector um so it was just a comfort for her to know that I was available so I went to hypnobirthing classes with her and started to learn about that like well before oh, nice. I was thinking about it for myself and just like it just really clicked with me and connected with my like kind of the way I approach things. And um, so I just knew I was going to do that. Like that was, and I was very, I'd been to all these classes with her. So I knew what it was all about. It was just about mm. applying it to myself. Um, so I did a lot of like watching hypnobirthing things on YouTube and researching yep. it on the internet. Um, I didn't actually go. So the Wired Up is amazing. There's free hypnobirthing classes and there's free spinning babies classes. Oh, cool. I didn't, yeah, I I didn't go to the hypnobirthing classes because I'd already done it with my sister and they're quite late at yeah. night and we live out in the country. Um, but I had um, just, my sister gave me all of her, like, material and handbooks and stuff, so I used all of that. I actually had a friend who'd done your classes and she showed me a couple of your videos as well, and I just want to say, like, they really, like, you tell it in an incredibly good um, way, like you articulate it really incredibly well. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't do your course, but comparing it to the one in Mastodon and what I saw, it's like I think probably would have been better. Yeah. Um, but I just felt like I was already on my little track, you know, yeah. where I was going yeah. with it. Um, and I found like some amazing resources on that on YouTube. Um, I read the Ina May's Guide to Childbirth, which I found amazing. Yeah. I just skipped. A friend of mine had read it, and she said, "Skip to the skip all the stories at the start, yeah. and read the second half, and then go back to the stories." And I'm so pleased I did that because 
you can skim read through some of the like more science-based stuff if that you're not into that like I couldn't be bothered with some of that stuff but yeah. then it made more sense for me to then go back yeah. and read the birth stories yeah then I so I went to spinning babies was another thing that I did which is I don't know if do you know what that is I do know what that is, but there may be listeners who don't if you just want to talk them through it. Spinning Babies, again, there's a free course in Masterton, which is just amazing. Um, shout out to Carol, who runs those. We um, So you go along with your partner and you learn about different exercises to do um, to help your body to, like, get um, to soften and for your muscles to soften and for the baby to get in the right position for giving like engaging basically and for um giving birth so all the muscles that are like working really hard through your pregnancy there's like different positions you can get into to help them to relax um and then to help them to yeah soften and then to like do practice like the exercise or the movements they'll have to make through your labor like your contractions um and also positions you can get into to just help keep the baby moving so as you get like from about 30 I think 35 weeks, maybe 30 weeks onwards, just to make so like if um, so the baby doesn't get like caught on your pelvis, you know, with the head mm. can get caught on your pelvis and those kinds of things. Like you can tip upside down and go in these different positions. They'll just help the baby to just come off your pelvis and then you know pop back in in the right position. Yeah. And the more you practice those things before you go into labour, a the easier it is to do during your labour and like because you know what to do, but also for your muscles, they've like, they've also had that practice. Yeah. Um, my sister actually, I'm sure she won't mind me sharing a little <laughs> bit of her story, but so she had had um, the pregnancy that I was helping her with and I was her support person. She had had um, like quite a slow, long labor and things weren't progressing. So she went into hospital and met Carol, this woman who takes these classes and did some of the, the exercises and, um, you know, Carol was getting her into these different positions and doing the rebozo and um, uh, I can't remember the name of the other ones, but um, going upside down and it, basically what happened, what we what they think happened is that Emma, my sister's daughter, was just sitting on my sister's pelvis and so by tipping her upside down a couple of times, she did this, like went upside down, you put your, you go on your knees on the bed basically and put your, your arms down on the floor and then just like hang over mm-hmm. um, and push your back out. Um, it basically like got Emma off the pelvis and then my sister ended up going home and I went home with, so I was there at the hospital and then we went home. I, dr- I got my sister in bed um, and like, you know, she was feeling like the midwife had told her you probably got a bit of time, put her in bed. Then I went, basically my sister went to, um, like from that to having her daughter within probably an hour. Oh, wow. And she actually had her in the car on the way to the hospital. Like she came so fast, yeah, because she'd done these exercises. So without like, you know, obviously that's not going to happen for everybody, but it just like for me really cemented that it was worth looking into those exercises because I'd seen like my sister getting to a point where she probably would have had to look at a cesarean or, you know, other things. Other intervention was probably quite likely for her. Yeah. Um, had she not had that, because there was just no way for Emma to get out on her own at that point, from what I understand. Yeah. So that was all quite um, full on. And I obviously didn't make it to the birth. So <laughs> I, um, yeah, I got a very like 
intense phone call from my sister when <laughs> yeah. she, Emma was like about to be born. Anyway, so yeah, so I did those classes. Um, I did a lot of meditation. I did a lot of journaling about like, you know, my, what my fears were and how to like, you know, explore ways to, um, I guess release those fears and how, and I did lots of like positive birth story journals and stuff. I also had like a really extensive birth plan document, <laughs> yeah. um, which just outlined everything that I wanted to kind of share with everyone around me so that I didn't have to articulate that nice. during. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I did, I guess oh, I went to my midwife appointment about on my due date actually. And my midwife was like, okay, like, cause I was asking lots of questions about the birth and she was like, Rosie, you're not studying to become a midwife. <laughs> you're just giving birth. Like you've got this, like you've literally got everything covered. Yeah. And she's like, you actually need to start thinking about the fourth trimester. You know, like it's just around the corner now kind of mm. thing. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, you know, like in the sense that I did have everything covered for the birth, but I hadn't thought about the return home. Yeah. And so that was like a real moment for me, which was amazing because then I totally shifted my focus. I, I just relaxed about the birth and I went home and I started thinking about the return home from hospital yeah. and what I wanted for that, what I wanted that to look like. And I was quite intentional with that, which I'm really grateful for. And I got a lot of, in those few weeks, like, you know, in the fourth trimester, I was just so grateful that that had happened yeah. and that she'd said that to me. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. And did you do anything um, sort of at the end of your pregnancy in terms of preparation for birth, like um, antenatal expressing or perennial massage or sort of anything else that um, Google and everyone else will tell you to try to go into labor? <laughs> yeah, I did. Um, I did. Ex- I did hand express not to go into labor, but just because I wanted the colostrum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I had a lot of colostrum, like ridiculous amounts, which was cool. And then I did a bit of um, perennial massage. Again, not really to go into labor. I just wanted to get that thing all ready. Yeah. Um, and not very dedicated, though. I might have done it three times. <laughs> yeah. um, it's not the greatest experience. Um, and then I went, I, nah, I, to be honest, other than, like I went four days overdue, and I loved those four days. Like yeah. I was... I didn't get, I guess, overdue enough maybe to get concerned. Yeah. But I really enjoy, like, those four days. I woke up every day being like, today I could go into labor. And if Mm. I don't, I've got another whole day to, like, just enjoy and be present in this, like, last few days of me being just me. And, like, I'd sort of, like, signed off from work by then. I was just kind of nesting and cooking at home and just resting and I was very conscious like of the fact that I was just thinking like if I go into labor tonight or tomorrow like have I got enough energy to get through Mm. you know like I just didn't waste I didn't go off doing stuff that was going to use up my energy I guess I just really like enjoyed it but then on the fourth on the Wednesday so it's like three days overdue I just wanted to do something nice and someone had said a friend of mine had recommended getting um acupuncture like labor-inducing acupuncture. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll go and do that. So I went on the Wednesday and got, yeah, Wednesday night and got acupuncture. And then that night my labor started, that, yeah. like early hours of that night. So I guess that might have worked. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so that was nice. Like I got home, went to bed, and then maybe like three or four in the morning I felt a little bit, but 
I didn't really know what it was. Like, mm. I, I think that was another thing. For me, labor felt like period pains at the start. Yeah. And I didn't really know what I was expecting to feel, but I didn't expect that, I don't think. So it took me a while to register kind of that that's what that was. And because I guess yeah. you have different random pains and stuff throughout your pregnancy. So you sort of don't, yeah, I d- didn't really click for a while. Yeah. But about like 10 in the morning, I realized it was definitely consistently like every half hour or whatever. Yeah. We had um, a whole lot of different trade eggs and stuff at our house, which was niggly. <laughs> um, there was like an electrician, some guys putting in a security <laughs> system and a painter. And so I was like trying to like get around the house and like I just wanted to have a bath and like mm. sleep and stuff. Anyway, I couldn't do any of that. That was fine. So I was in yeah labor for that day but all day it just felt like period pains kind of and then the next night I would labor through the night and it was definitely more like intense through the night like I was sort of in and out of sleep and but just like chilled and then the next morning I one thing I started journaling throughout my labor which I'm so pleased I did um I just wrote down what was happening and I found it like really helped me to just like stay quite calm and present but also um just nice to look back on, like for me, yeah, I like reflecting on nice. it because it is a bit of a blur afterwards. Um, yeah. The next day we were scheduled to have a power outage, which was cool. Um, they were doing work on the power, power lines outside our house. So I knew from like 9 a.m. we wouldn't have power. So I got up and like jumped in the bath and then it was like that was it. No hot water or anything. But I hadn't contemplated that we wouldn't have any running water. Oh, no. So I didn't have, like, and we live 20 minutes out of town, so I didn't have, like, enough water to drink. You know, like, it was just a real mess. But, um, yeah, like, my labor was quite still not really established. Like, it was just on, like, irregular. Yeah. I got out of the bath. I think I remember having, like, a little bit of a meltdown to Nick like he was still still doing like work calls and emails and stuff and I was like I need you like I need your teacher I need you like right by me like don't leave me and he's Mm -hmm. like okay I'm here I'm sorry and he's like I just the thing is is I asked you like five minutes ago if you were okay like what you needed and you said you're fine so (laughs) I was like oh yeah sorry about Mm -hmm. me like starting to get a bit random um and so I went to I went to hospital and met my midwife at about one and she gave me a stretch and sweep and she's like, yeah, you're like two centimetres, you've done heaps of work already, like, you know. And I was, before going to the hospital, I was like, I really don't want to do this. Like, I don't want to go in there. And I was really funny about it. And then I was like, Rosie, like, <laughs> get out of your, like, you know, it's all good. Just mm. trust, this, trust the process and it's fine. Like, go with it. And it was actually fine. Got on, got off the, like, bed and my contractions just were, like, ramped up, like, from then it was like holy hell like mm. just intense um but exciting like I was loving it I was just so excited and having so much fun like I was just I don't know I it was like painful and intense but I just felt so like connected to what was my body was doing and the fact that my body and my baby were working together and like every pain was like my body getting closer to me mm. having a baby like yeah. yeah, it was just exciting. Yeah. Um, and my mum, so my mum met us at the hospital. And then I, mean, <laughs> I was adamant 
the midwife was like, look, things have really heated up since you had your stretch and sweep, but you could stay here or you could go home. She said to me, you'll probably, if you go home, I think you'll be back here at about four and you'll probably be, have your baby around eight, sometime sort of eight, maybe till midnight at the latest. And I was like, don't tell me that because it gives me a time frame mm. and it like doesn't, you know, I don't want a time frame to work to. But she's such a bloody guru. She's, um, Heidi was the last baby that she delivered. She was a midwife for 24 years yeah. and just a legend. Anyway, so I went home. <laughs> and on the way home, I was like, we need to get petrol. Like, we don't have enough petrol in the car. We actually probably were fine, but I was like, we need petrol. So we went to the petrol station and I'm like having full on contractions in the car, like on my hands and knees at the petrol station. <laughs> and I had to get out of the car because I was like, it's too much. So I'm standing outside the car, like by the petrol pump, <laughs> having contractions. Um, get all the way home. Yeah. And then literally like 20 to four, I'm like, mum's starting to freak out a little bit, I think, because she couldn't really <laughs> tell. That was one thing, actually, if you have a support person with you, like I couldn't articulate to them where I was at. I found that really hard. Like I was just in my head and I didn't want to talk. And I was like, I was fine. Like, it was hard and painful and intense, but it was awesome and it was yeah. fine. Yeah. But I couldn't tell them, like, <laughs> and I didn't know. I haven't had a baby before. Mm. Um, one thing also, we use, I use the Freya app for oh, yeah. my contractions and that was epic. Um, I found that super, super helpful. It was just we had no power, so Ugh. I couldn't charge my phone. So my <laughs> phone started to go flat. So then we had to, yeah. like, download it on mum's phone and Nick's phone and, um, yeah, so it's just making sure that we had it on multiple devices would have been good in advance. Mm. Um, and it was really awesome because I could just like tell them like, yep, turn it on. And then they just, all they had to do was hit the button. Like once it started to get, to get too intense, I couldn't even look at the phone to yeah. hit the button. Um, so that was, yeah, I'd highly recommend having something like that. Then, yeah, drove to the hospital. I was just climbing around in the car, got there. And I got in the birth pool pretty soon after we got to hospital, and that was epic. Yeah. I felt like – so my contractions had been back-to-back, like I wasn't even getting a break. Mm. And then suddenly they just slowed, and I, like, just chilled out. They were probably as, like, frequent, but I was getting little breaks in between, and I could – I was almost sleeping. Like, I was just really meditative, that's yeah. the word, and sleeping, and I reckon I was in the pool for, like, two hours. And I had this really strong, like, intuitive feeling that I needed to rest and I needed to stay in there as long as I could. But I was also started to go hot and cold, which my midwife said she'd never really come across. But I was, <laughs> like, shivering cold and then going really hot. And so I kept telling them to, like, turn the pool up and then turn it down and then turn it up. And <laughs> that m- messed with Heidi's heart rate, mm-hmm. just going hot, like, getting too hot. So I had to get yeah. out. But I'd been in there by then for, like, ages. Got on the bed, and the midwife was like, you can push now. You're fully mm-hmm. dilated. And I was like, mm, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> for me, it had just been, like, I don't know, I hadn't, it just hadn't been hard enough yeah. from what I expected. Like, I'd just had been enjoying it, mm. you know, and I just expected to get for it to be a lot harder and yeah. so in my head I was like okay well that means that the pushing must be like so hard and must take so long because mm. you know I'm not I haven't had that like I can't go any further feeling mm. which I've been told about um I went on my knees but I'm too flexible 
so I was I had she like couldn't see what was going on there's no room for the baby to come out so I had to go on my back which was one thing I'd been really not keen on but at the time it, it just didn't matter I was like whatever yeah and then I pushed for like 20 minutes yeah and I found the pushing like random at the start I just didn't really have an urge mm. so I had to kind of pretend for a little bit and be like oh like just play around <laughs> and it feels so weird the pushing part but yeah had a baby <laughs> and um my mum videoed it which was awesome like oh, awesome she was random about it at the start <laughs> she um but yeah I was like, adamant that I really wanted to be able to see her coming out yeah. and and be able to go back and watch that because it's such an amazing thing mm. I watched lots of birth videos online yeah. before she was born and I just found that fascinating and so yeah. it was one thing that I really wanted to be able to reflect on yeah and like people think that some people find that weird but for me it was like awesome yeah I've watched it so many times <laughs> um, and yeah then she was born yeah amazing and did they pop her straight up onto your chest from there yeah yeah so I yeah she came up onto my chest and I didn't feel I wouldn't say I had that like oh my god love feeling you know mm. like I just was like overwhelmed with the whole thing yeah um and yeah, I hadn't torn or any. I hadn't torn internally, but I had a um, like her hand or something had like scratched me, so I had an external tear, yeah. so that had to get stitched up. But the next thing that happened for us, which was an important thing that I wanted to share, was our um, Heidi has polydactyly. Yeah. So basically, that means she's got extra digits. Um. So when she was born, we obviously didn't. It hadn't been picked up on the scans, mm-hmm. and we didn't know anything about it and I I don't know anything about it at all think that it was a thing um so when she was born yeah like with a few minutes after my husband Nick was like looking at her hands (laughs) and thinking something didn't look quite right Mm. um and then yeah we he was like she's got an extra finger on this hand and then the midwife was like oh does she and then kind of that just like was really intense and overwhelming like from that that next few minutes was just like what what like mm. you know and then we're counting like looking at her other hands and feet and yeah sure enough she had another finger on her other hand and then an extra toe on each foot and so with that kind of this like overloading amount of information mm. this kind of how I remember it I mean I, I don't really know it's a ball of blur but the midwife was like oh like that's polydactyly and then you know like suddenly they look she's like looking at her and like oh she looks normal and oh yeah her, her head and everything looks normal and I'm like what like why are you looking at her mm. head like and she's like oh you know it can be linked to all sorts of other conditions like down syndrome and um yeah like I, I can't remember if she said cliff palate but like other yeah. like chest, um, missing chest plates and yeah. so I'm like my head is like what like yeah. just exploding I'm like trying to process that this like beautiful little baby has got these extra hands and toes yeah and what that means and then all these so obviously Dr. Google has since told me that there's like 130 <laughs> different conditions that can be linked to polydactyly so having all four like an extra digit on all four hands and feet is is really rare but they say that polydactyly is like one and somewhere between 500 and a thousand it's very hard to get an actual number I think it's right. different between yeah different races but yeah so that was intense like that next wee while 
just getting our heads around all of that was yeah. really full on. Yeah. Um, and what that meant. So yeah, she had lots of, they, you know, checked everything over and she was like, look, she's, I can tell by looking at her that she doesn't have downs. She doesn't have, um, her head's a normal shape. And, you know, I'm like, okay, uh, yeah, cool. Like, <laughs> what? Um, and then, yeah, that, that kind of, not clouded like that first hour or two with her or first few days, but it was very much on our minds. Like, I guess how we felt about it and how we wanted to um, communicate about it, mm. communicate about it with our family and friends and things. And we just, we needed some time, like, yeah. and in amongst everything else that's going on, it was really just a lot to process. I'm yeah. so like, I so hope like by being on this podcast and I said to you, like, this was my reason mm. for wanting to come on was I just really, really hope that if there's another family out there that have this same experience that they might have listened to this and might yeah. just feel that little bit more comfort in that moment because you hear about, I heard a lot of things on this podcast before I gave birth that and throughout my labor and my pregnancy and stuff, I was like, oh, it's okay. Cause I heard that lady talk about that. Mm. And that's made me like, I had those, that comfort and yeah. those like shared stories. And I'd never heard about polydactyly. Yeah. I'd never seen a child with polydactyly. I just didn't knew nothing about it. And since like, you know, we've been through five months of like processing it all. And I feel really, really good about it now. And I, I think at the time, like all things considered, we felt really good about it then mm. too, but it's just, the not knowing. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. And so did they need to like take her for more testing from you initially or like did they just leave her with you or what happened in those first couple of hours? Yeah, so she stayed with me. Um she just basically Kate was like I my midwife was like, I can tell by looking at her that yeah. we don't need to do any more I think testing now, but there'll probably be things that come later so I think I had a um, lots of pediatrician visits and I had to keep going I have had to go to the hospital kind of every couple of weeks with her to get they just like measure her head measure her reactions and responses Mm -hmm. and um make sure that there's no kind of cognitive issues um and so I I think she'll be continued to test till she's about two but they're saying like very confidently to me now that there's no issues and if I wanted to discharge her I could mm-hmm. but I sort of feel like I'd rather just keep her in the system yeah sure you know yeah. um once you're if you're in the system it's easier to stay than it is trying to get back in I think yeah. um and also she had a um heart murmur mm-hmm. so I had to go and get heart scans done again like they were kind of mild mild like very light murmurs and um they weren't too concerned, but they just said, look, given her polydactyly, um, yeah. she could have holes in her heart. We need, you know, it's important to just cross that off, I guess. Sure. So, yeah, she had scans when she was about five weeks old, four weeks old. She does have a heart murmur. Like, she's got two little holes in her heart, but they think they're completely unrelated, okay. relatively common, and they should close on their own. Um, so I think she'll get another scan to check that in a few yeah. months' time. That's probably the extent of it. Yeah. yeah. So it's been, it's been like fine, all things considered. There's mm. a lot, there's a lot worse that can happen, you know, like it's yeah, so, sure. so superficial. And, yeah. but obviously they will need to be removed. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of 
the next thing. They don't remove them till she's one. Yeah. And they'll do the hands first and then they go, um, they put wires in to like, because they're full, like one of them is a fully formed finger. Right. So it has knuckles and joints and all the tendons and everything are connected. So they all have to be kind of, it's quite an intricate surgery mm. to get all those bits like joined up the way they need to be and the finger removed and then the wire will be in put like in there and then the yep. wires have to be removed so she'll have a cast on each hand for a month and then they'll do take those off take the wire out and then they'll operate on her feet so it'll be like in and out of surgery a few times to get that yep. and right when she's you know she'll be one two 14 or 13, 14 months. So yeah. it's quite like she'll be busy, you know, yeah, yeah. at that time. Yeah. So we've got that ahead of us. But, yeah, she'll be fine. It's mm. just we just have to go through with that. Yeah. Um, I think that'll bring it all up maybe a bit again because obviously at the moment, unless you kind of spend a bit of time with her, you don't notice it. You know, she's got yeah, socks yeah. and little booties and whatever on and her hands are busy. But when she's got casts on her hands and feet, Lots of people will obviously mm. ask, like, what happened? And and that's fine. It's just yeah. that we'll have to be talking about it a lot again. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so I think the big thing I've had to really, like, tell myself is, like, it's completely random. I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Just like I didn't do anything wrong when I had my miscarriage. Like, it's not my fault. It's just something that happens. And mm. it's comp- it's like a cleft palate or webbing or yeah. Yeah. club foot. You know, these things happen. And it's a miracle that you know that that's the only thing yeah (laughs) (laughs) really when you look at it yeah for sure and did that impact like you I guess your recovery postpartum and those first couple of weeks and months um adjusting to having a newborn in your life and yeah I guess I'm just curious to know how that um had an impact or if it had an impact on that postpartum period I'm sure it has had a bit of an impact yeah. in that, you know, it's just another thing to occupy your brain space, I guess, when you've got so much going on. Like, yeah. The other thing actually that happened is Heidi had a tongue tie. Mm-hmm. So I was having a lot of trouble with feeding. So I was, like, super tired and, yeah. I mean, God, who isn't? But she had a tongue tie that got cut on I had three nights in hospital because I was having trouble with feeding and then she got it cut on the Monday she was born on a Friday had it cut on a Monday and then I had to go over to Palmerston North for her to have it cut again and that was like a little bit more of a procedure mm-hmm. um and a bit of recovery and like we just I just had to do a lot like lots of expressing we had to give her formula when she was a week old um and yeah, there was just it was like a two person job basically yeah. feeding, and, and yeah. that was fine. But it probably was so there was so much focus on feeding that the fingers and toes were just like whatever. Yeah, um, you know, like, and it was like, what can you do about it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was, but it was probably just every time we had visitors over, or every time I saw a friend, or you know, like. I kind of forgot who we told. Mm. I forgot whether, and I didn't know whether to mention it or just like let people figure it out for themselves or like, yeah. you know, that that probably like I find I found a bit difficult in that, you know, that moment where people are like, oh, look at your little baby. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, have they noticed their hands yet? Mm. You know, like, yeah. and it just takes away a little bit. Yeah. Or do I need to say something? Or have I told this person? God, I can't remember. Yeah. And then, but 
not because like I've a big thing for me was in that first 24 hours, 48 hours was like, what is the feel? Like, where is this feeling coming from? Like, what Mm. is it about these hands and feet that is confronting? Like, Mm. where does that come from? And I, I think like ultimately it's a shame trigger, right? Like, your baby's got extra digits and, mm. and why is that why is that in society that that would be shameful yeah, that you've had yeah. a baby that's not perfect yeah. but and so it was like why is my perception that that's not perfect mm-hmm. and so working on that and realize like allowing myself the space and the like um the von like being really vulnerable with it and being like what where is this coming from and, and processing like that I I don't that can be someone else's react response, like, mm-hmm. and people can think what they want to think, but that's not going to be mine. Like, I, yeah. I'm not going to come from a place of shame yeah. and of like trying to hide it or like I'm, I'm just not, I'm not ashamed of her. I, you know, or what has happened, and I am not, you know, like, and I had yeah. to, like, that's I'm being quite like, you know, honest, but that I think is where that where that all lies for people yeah, it's like for sure and so I really had to reconcile with all of that and give myself the space to think it through yeah and then I felt fine much I'd like work through what it was and where it was mm. coming from if yeah. that makes sense yeah, so it was just trying to sense. find the time and the energy to have those thoughts <laughs> yeah yeah and did you have anything else that you wanted to share in regards to Heidi or your journey or your postpartum period or anything else that you want people to know about your story I don't know, like for me, the postpartum space was so important and I'm so pleased that my midwife had that conversation with me because Mm. I went home, I read or I listened to the audio book of the first 40 days and a friend of mine recommended it and it was like on that same day, which was kind of strange because she just had a baby and it just really shifted my focus. I was very intentional about how I wanted that time yeah. to be I actually ended up getting a doula um because I didn't have my mum was super busy she lives an hour away and um my husband had like Nick had to get back to work you know mm. we run a business together it wasn't feasible for me to um for him to be home yeah and so it was just more practical to have someone and I found a doula who was like just starting out in Macedon. and she was awesome um and so I had that like couple of hours a day to just have someone else with me so yeah. I wasn't alone and to like just take Heidi so I could sleep, take yeah. her so I could have a shower, whatever. And to just like she cooked my meals or our meals, she made our bed, like filled up my water bottle, you know, like yeah. just cared and nurtured for yeah. me. And um, the first 40 days really talks about like the Western approach to the like postpartum journey yeah. and yeah. how we just like really underestimate or just, just don't put enough value on the recovery required for the mum yeah. and um, kind of gave me the license to be like, it's okay to mm. like say no to people coming over to, or say like, please come at this time or mm. <laughs> to say yes and thank you for help to ask for help, to say what the things are that you needed. Yeah. And I was very intentional. I had a rule for myself that it was just one visitor a day so one like time slot because yeah. I you know you have to give up a sleep for that yeah. person so they've yeah. got to be pretty special yeah. and also you, I just couldn't afford to do that twice in a day I couldn't yeah. afford to give up two naps and um and it was really nice because it actually meant that people I like spread, spread everybody out over a much longer period I could actually be really like present with the people that did come because yeah. I wasn't like 
scrambling. You know, I was actually really in a good headspace and I felt amazing. Um, I made a real point of like, yeah, just like doing little gratitude things and like a little bit of journaling where I could or like just have a bath and like do some breathing or like any little thing to just fill myself, fill up my tank. It's very hard, you know, like that, especially those early days when your adrenaline is still kind of running and you're like in this whole, there's just yeah. so much going on in your head to sleep. Like, yeah. so it's got to like really create a space where you can do that. And I'm just so mm. pleased that I went into it with a really like, yeah, I would really strongly encourage women to put focus on that. And equally mm. with the birth, like I went into the birth so intentional Mm. And so, um, like, in a really good headspace, and with a really like, I practiced my my yeah. you know my breathing and my um, positive positive um, affirmations, and yeah. I was just very. It was easy. I drew on all of those resources really easily because I practiced so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And probably one other thing, if there's anybody like, I know some friends of mine who've got stepchildren. Um, it can be a little bit daunting, like not necessarily stepchildren or if you've got a big age gap between your kids. Like yeah. I know that can be daunting and also equally having an older father, like, you know, Nick's 50 now and he's just got a, he's got a one year old and it's so epic. Like I think there's, you know, it can ease, be easy to kind of think about how it could be not, you know, all the reasons why it could be difficult or hard, but it's an incredible relationship between um, Nick's children, my, you know, and Heidi. Yeah. And it's really bonded us as a unit. We are now, you know, like me and the kids have this like blood connection now. Yeah. And we're really like, I just feel like it's taken things to another level. And it's just epic having this big age gap because they're so like, it's just such a different dynamic. And I feel like we've got four little carers for her you know like they're yeah. so amazing with her yeah and um nick as an older father is just amazing yeah it's so cool like he's so um just so like present with her and i don't know he's just i think he's a bit like yeah it's just cool like he's just a, at a cool age to be a dad i reckon yeah yeah Cool. Well, thank you so much, Rosie, for coming on the podcast and sharing your story with us. I've really loved talking to you. And I think um, so important what you say about, you know, being able to draw on other people's experiences so that you don't feel quite so isolated or alone. So I really do hope, even if it's just one person who listens to the podcast and has a similar experience to you, that they can draw on your story. And um, I'm just super grateful that you are willing to share with us. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's um, it feels really good actually to just like put it out there. Yeah. Um, and I yeah, I hope somebody can take something from it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales. I hope you have enjoyed it. And just another reminder that this episode was brought to you by Your Birth Project, and I would love for you to go and check out Your Birth Project at Your Birth Project on Instagram or www.yourbirthproject.com. I know you're going to love the course if you do sign up for it. So yeah, I'd love to hear your feedback. Also love to hear how you found this episode. So feel free to send me a message or an email. Looking forward to bringing you another awesome episode next week.